Welcome once again to another episode of The Wall Behind and Beyond. I'm your host, Philip A. Jones. As always, we bring you personal perspectives from those who have been impacted by the criminal justice system, whether that means directly or indirectly. It is a part of our focus and our mission to tell the stories which shape the lives of everyday people in hopes that someone listening will hear something that may help them navigate the system or support someone who is caught up in it. That being said, our guest today happens to be my homegirl. She is the executive director of the member-led nonprofit Out for Justice. She is an expert on criminal justice policy and reentry in the state of Maryland. Her organization serves returning citizens as well as those still behind the wall. She works to reform local and statewide reentry policies. Please welcome to the show Nicole Hansen Mundell. How are you, sister? Hey, Philip. Nice to hear from you. Absolutely. Uh, you? I'm doing okay. You know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to get at you because you're doing big things out there, and all our listeners been waiting to hear because I talk about Maryland and what's going on over there a lot. Um, but now we got some firsthand on the call that can talk to them about certain issues that they might not have known about. So we can get straight mm -hmm. to it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. And, um... It's always an honor, Philip, coming on your platform. Uh, when I think about what it looks like to have someone on the inside who never stops, right, and who um, consistently fights for their freedom, you are the, the, the picture, right? Thank you for having me on this platform because as a woman, as you said, uh, working on policy reform in this is um, it's not an easy thing, right? You've got to navigate a lot of relationships. And so um, I appreciate being on a platform where I can feel comfortable, I can feel safe, and I can be me. So I really appreciate that. Um, Absolutely, always. So tell our listeners where you're from and a little bit about your background. I am from Baltimore, Maryland, being on East Side Certified. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's where I'm from. Uh, a little bit about my background. Um, I was raised by a single woman. I had three siblings, but um, one of my siblings was on my dad's side. I raised on the east side of Baltimore, uh, went to Baltimore City Public Schools. When my mother could afford it, I went to some private schools and she couldn't afford it. So I was kind of in and out of private school and public school. Um, all the way up to high school. Whenever my mother could afford it, she would put me in one year, and one year she couldn't, she would take me out. And so I always grew up a little bit with this love for policy, right? I really liked government in my eighth grade class. And so I always grew up with this, like, love for government and figuring out how to make government work for me. And I was already really intrigued by this idea that if you just figured out this system, um, you know, how it can work for you and the things that you can get from a system if you knew the makeup of that system. Um, and just over time, you know, going to school, going to high school, um, coming out of high school, got pregnant with my first daughter at 21, you know, um, went into nursing for about 10 years. Um, after doing nursing for about 10 years, I went to go start uh, engaging in, um, in campaign work. And... It was at that point that, you know, I, I knew I was very, very interested in this policy work. Um, Engaged in campaign work that transitioned me into uh, being the legislative um, 
liaison for a senator out of the 41st district in, in Baltimore. So I did that for a couple of years and really, really enjoyed getting uh, my nursing job and my legislative um, work. Um, and, and went back to school and I quickly realized how difficult that was. So, um, so as, you know, as, as an independent woman, right, of course I had my husband and but, you know, I'd always brought in my own money. And so now I was deciding to, like, you know, stop working because I was going to go to school. And I quickly realized how much I was, I was still very much like my, my single mother and that um, I wasn't really willing to trust that the man in my life indicated that he was going to provide and make sure the bills was covered while I was going to pursue my education. And I wasn't ready to trust him in that way. And, um, you know, depression started sinking in, self-medication started sinking in. And before I know it, I'm, you know, I'm standing in front of judge and I'm, and I'm going to, you know, go, go, go to jail for some time, right? And um, while in there, though, Philip, what really made me get into criminal justice policy in particular, Philip, is that, I was standing there with women who were losing everything. Now, I knew, I knew what I had done, right? I knew that I had even done some things that I didn't get caught for, right? And so, mm-hmm. by the grace of God, you know, I only did under a year, right? But I knew it was my time to serve, right? I knew that I had to, you know, meet my makeup. But I was in there filled with women who did not deserve to be in there. They did not deserve um, so petty misdemeanors, right? And these women were losing their homes, their cars, their children, their jobs, their relationships, everything, right? Um, and at that point, I was committed that I was going to use my, my, my legislative expertise um, coupled with my direct experience with the criminal legal system, and I was going to ensure that um, women who had not yet had a voice, um, you know, that I would be their voice and I would um, be committed to uh, ensuring that their lived experiences are turned into policy recommendations that not only impact them in a positive way, but impact thousands of other uh, Marylanders across the state. Hey, that's powerful, uh, Nicole, your story and um, your background, you know what I mean? I know a lot of people listening are going to take some of what you said and be able to identify with that, and then they will see that it's others who have done and went through the same type of things they've been through and still can make it. What made you want to get into criminal justice in particular, the policy that shaped the lives of returning citizens? Well, like I said, um, when going, when I decided to take that break, right, and I, and I was going to, you know, go to school, I was going to get this degree, and by the way, that never happened, right? So, you know, I think I did about a year uh, at Shadron and Douglas College, and then I didn't go back for all these reasons, right? And what made, um, what made me get into this because I understood policy, right? Like I told you, I sixth grade, I understood the makeup of the executive branch and the judicial branch, and now I have this lived experience. I had family members who are impacted by the criminal legal system, right? I had friends who are impacted by the criminal legal system, and now I'm impacted by the criminal legal system. And so this was the one tool that I was more familiar with that would make a systematic change. Um, you know, of course, I could get into the direct service work, but that's not the work I wanted to be involved in, right? And I'm not saying that work isn't important. I'm just saying, for me, 
the strongest tool um, at my disposal was a tool that I was already familiar with, Philip, and mm -hmm. it just made the, the best sense. That's what's up. Tell us about Alpha Justice. What is the mission of your organization? The mission of Alpha Justice is to educate, engage, and empower the reentry community um, and our loved ones behind the wall around the legislative process, right? That's at the center of what we do. That we understand the way that the legislative process is made up in Maryland um, and that we use that legislative process to lead our own policy campaigns um, to advocate for the types of changes that we want to see, particularly in Annapolis, right? Um, but we also have these four programs, so um, there's the rapid response program, and that program is really everything. It, it tries to meet the needs of our, our members in a rapid way. One of the ways to become a member is, you know, sign up to become a member, engage in our three activities. You know, we want to make sure that our members understand the legislative process because that's at the core of what we do. And so part of becoming a member is engaging in the, uh, one of our legislative workshops um, and um, engaging in public service and community service, right? And through the rapid response program, we're able to help uh, our members with housing, direct housing support, right? We're not a housing organization. Housing is not our expertise, but we're able to help our members with some um, housing fees, emergency housing fees help our members um, with legal um, court support, right? Or we're able um, to help our members uh, with a support letter to take to a particular agency. Or we're able to help our members understand what system they're getting ready to interact with and how to advocate for themselves with that system. We have the legislative um, and policy research um, program, and that's specifically engaged in the legislative process so we're introducing laws or supporting laws or we are opposing laws and policies that impact us in Maryland. Um, we have our voting and education program, Philip, which is really around what we did in Annapolis, and now we're ensuring that the agency is implementing the law around voting. So you know, you know, in Maryland, we got the right to vote in 2015. We mean incarcerated people. Um, but at that time in 2015, we had not thought about what it would mean for implementation, right? You know, you get a law passed, and it's like, yay, but what about the implementation of that law? What agency is going to be responsible for implementing that law? Where, what agency has the budget to make sure that that law is actually impacting the people who it originally sought? And so we felt that Alfred Justice um, did expand the ballot uh, coalition that it was important that um, that Alfred Justice make sure that the State Board of Elections was implementing our voting laws uh, uh, for formerly and currently incarcerated people um, in an efficient way. And so that's through the voting education work. I mean, lastly, the bail and legal, right? We bail black mamas out of prison for Mother's Day. Um, we bail black fathers um, out of jail for Father's Day. Um, and that's through the pre-trial work, right? And uh, we participate in what's called the participatory um, defense, which is led by a, a group out of Central County Life After Release that houses Court Watch PG, um, participatory defense and the like. Um, and through that framework, we're able to engage with our loved ones 
um, who have more, who have time, and they want to work with a group of people to um, figure out how to get their loved ones free. Um, and so we do we do that work as well. So if you got to make sure um, somebody get on a participatory press call on your behalf in Thursday. Absolutely. You know, I'm listening and I'm taking notes. Um, it sounds like, you you know, what y'all are doing over there. Me, myself, you know, I've I always been a part of uh, Alpha Justice because I know the work y'all are doing over there is excellent. And I like the fact that it's member-led and it's, it's mainly made up of formerly incarcerated individuals so they understand, you know, other people that yeah, are going through we the same situation. We lead. It is led by incarcerated people, it was created by a fully incarcerated woman, and it will always be led by fully incarcerated people. That's what's up. We believe that we should be at the center of our voices, at the center of how we do Hey, that's what's up, because go. who knows best the problems that you're going through except for somebody that's been there. So, I mean, when, you, yeah. when you've been through the problem yourself, you understand better how to solve it, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm going to get ready to pick up on the other side, hold that thought. We're going to get right back to it. Thank you all for listening, subscribing, and sharing my podcast. Here are three ways to help me today. Consider donating, if you can, to my GoFundMe for my freedom efforts. You can find that by typing in Incarcerated Lives Matter, Philip Alvin Jones on GoFundMe. Subscribe today to my YouTube channel, The Wall Behind and Beyond. Comment and share. We are on our journey to a 1,000 subscribers. We can do this. Visit GrantParoleToPhilip.com. It's a one-stop shop that has my direct contact info and awesome social media sites. Please get in touch with us if you'd like to help in any way with Team Philip. Thank you, and keep listening to The Wall, Behind and Beyond. Back on the other side, y'all, finishing up our discussion with Nicole. We're getting to some good things, and I hope everybody is getting something from this conversation because it's very powerful. As a native of Maryland, what do you feel can be done to improve the justice system in our state? You know, Philip, I am, there's so many things that can be done to improve the justice system. Just even starting by having an efficient, you know, efficient court, right? Making sure that individuals, you know, are able to have a decent representation and that uh, the state's public defender's office is fully funded and people have access to attorneys that have the time to litigate and think about and fight for individuals, right? Yeah. You know, one of the things that can make improve it is uh, we often talk about having strong court clerks, right, where people are able to walk in a court and, and ask questions, right? Oftentimes, people walk into a courthouse. They don't know to go left or right. They don't know what this They don't know what this means. They don't know what that means, right? And I believe people need navigation. They need to, because many of us are going inside that courtroom for the very first time, and we don't know what to do. You know, I really wish more advocates like us could be sitting right there on those benches to be like, no. Do this, do that, um, ask these questions, you know. Um, we also need to make sure that we repeal, uh, harmful laws, um, that are, that are outdated, right? Oftentimes, uh, folks are more interested in adding a law to the books. And I think it's equally important to, uh, remove harmful, uh, criminal policy, criminal code off the books. 
um, just to ensure um, that they are no longer there, right, and clean up that old antiquated um, criminal code that exists here in Maryland. Um, those are a few ways. I mean, I think if folks had real support, you know what I mean, Philip, like real support, like young people who don't have access to a parent right now because their parent is suffering from addiction or their dad died, if they had a place to go to really feel supported, nurtured, um, and if that, you know, we wouldn't, I don't think we would be in this place right now. And so, um, you know, the services and social supports available to our young people and are just not holistic, they're not welcoming, and therefore folks don't access the services that may be available. Um, and what that ends up um, turning into is a young man or a young woman who feels like the world is against them and they then they become cold and not caring, right? When if we had an infrastructure in the state where the social supports um, were welcoming to vulnerable people, I feel like that too would help change the criminal justice system because it will let, it'll be less people engaging in it because they were caught on the other side, right? The social, the social safety net side, um, and they were able to get what they needed um, from 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 the social support. Absolutely, and uh, I, I mirror uh, those sentiments. And um, for me, I was just thinking as you were talking. I think that if we go back to pre-1994 crime bill and we get rid of that, um, if there's a possible way to do so, um, that we would see that our state would go forward by decades because that put us back so far. Um, we went we went from going from a life sentence all the way to work release. Now having a life sentence and you can't get out of prison most of the time and you're stuck in medium. Um, so, I mean, that's something small. I mean, it's something major to me, but at the same time, people may say, well, that's not, that's the, that's like the least of our problems. Well, it's really not because if you can work your way through the system, no matter how much time you have, and eventually get the work release, then you're already out in society. So the parole commission won't really have any choice but to uh, grant you parole because you're already out there earning a living, paying taxes, taking care of your family. Right. So there's so many things, you know? Well, I feel you feel we need to repeal. The 1994 crime bill. That, I believe if that was to take place, that we would see our entire criminal justice system in the state of Maryland be transformed because um, they're throwing us away. And, you know, we lost everything um, when uh, when that happened. From Not just from what I spoke on, but also because we lost the Pell Grants, we wasn't able to finish our educations, we got thrown in prisons where we were being warehoused, the violence increased. Uh, more murders and stabbings was taking place because people didn't have any way to uh, improve or better themselves. And so that's why I said it damaged us. And so a lot of our people don't understand that we were, a lot of people were basically accepting of the crime bill, but they didn't realize the devastation that it would cause uh, to an underserved community. Yeah, they didn't realize the collateral damage and the collateral consequences that would come with that. Philip, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to make the statement and I'm going to answer the question. So, uh, more recently, we just got a new governor-elect, Wes Moore, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was chosen to be on his uh, transition team. And so, I'm on a policy committee for 
safety and justice. So we got to come up with like a problem statement and he gave it to us on his kind of promises he made. We have to identify like what he should be taking up both on a policy level. So for instance, we have over 10 policy recommendations we've got to think about. The first policy is increase access to employment opportunities upon release, right? That's the policy that he came up with. And then the problem statement that we came up with was returning citizens to face various various um, employment opportunities, criminal records, and lack of job training. Um, now, these three questions is, if we do the following, right? So we said, allow for automatic expungement for all for all cases, right? We feel like if someone if someone has done their time, then they should not come out and have to deal with a criminal record, right? Period. And we said, then the following will change, remove barriers of having a criminal record. And then, and we will see this impact long term. So, like, from behind the wall's perspective, like, what do you think could be changed here, Merlin? How could I use my voice to push for what you, my, one of my members, think should be happening in the state of Maryland? Oh, thank you so much. Uh, I love the question, and uh, I'm so happy to be able to answer it. To think the first thing the governor, um, the governor Moore, he said something in a foreword that he wrote. He said we can't throw away our, our citizens. We can't throw away our people. Uh, and I love that he said that because there's so much untapped potential and so many people that deserve a second chance in the state of Maryland in particular. Uh, and now he is in a position to work together with organizations like Alpha Justice to create uh, policies to help people return. But what we need on the inside, and from my own personal uh, experience, is that we need for them to utilize uh, those pens that they, they sign their signatures with to let people out based on executive orders um, dealing with things such as emergent adult stuff. Uh, and I was going to get to that later, but... If you know that people who were under the age of 21 came into the system and they've got life sentences or life without parole, then we should create some type of executive order that says that because of the brain science, these people's brains wasn't developed, we're going to give them a second chance and go across the board. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and add the executive order power that we have and, um, and identify individuals were charged under the age of 21, use the research to show that, you know, use the research that we all know is available. That's right. Um, what else, Philip? Oh, what else? Okay, the conditions programming-wise. We used to have a lot of different programs um, inside the system where people could be occupying their time instead of sitting on tears all day, instead of just being Name in the them. day room. Name them. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we... We had an NAACP on the inside. Um, they would come in and help register the vote as well. Uh, we had the JCs. Um, we had some other organizations that we had in the Maryland Penitentiary uh, when I was there. But it's a whole bunch of different organizations that are civic and grassroots that can come in okay. and help people to start getting involved in, this, in the things that's going on in society so that we have a chance to help right. out or give back to our community. You know what I mean? Okay. So what, what I hear you saying is, you know, as a, as a behind-the-wall mechanism, right, uh, for our individuals who are behind the wall, programming is important to keep you busy, 
And so what I hear you saying, Philip, is create a pipeline for civic engagement to be introduced behind the wall. So create a pipeline yeah. where nonprofit organizations who engage in advocacy and civic involvement can begin to go in behind those walls uh, like the NAACP used to in the, in the past. Yes, and to add to that also something else you said that was powerful, you you can also give them like a, a kind of a map. So we're not just going to say, okay, you were under 21. All right, we're going to give you a kind of map. So therefore, we want you to achieve this, this, and this, and we will grant you that expunge. I mean, we will grant you that clemency or that commutation of your sentence because you were under 21. So that way they feel that people are also bettering themselves as they're waiting uh, for things to happen for, in their case to get free. So those things, if you just did those, the bare minimum, um, you would see a, a drastic change within our system. Because I'm telling you, you know, I sat, I sat down just, um, and we had, we come out ourselves all day long, and we didn't go nowhere. We went straight out ourselves, right into that day room, got on the phone, and thought of ways that we could, you know what I'm saying, create some type of mischief. And that was when I was young, but at the same time, I'm realizing that it's still uh, individuals that are still going through these same things because they don't have uh, ways to, uh, you know, put their their uh, energies to bear. Do you think folks um, at a certain age going in the system should be required to do certain programs? Well, yeah, especially if you have certain type of cases because you, you want to show that you've uh, matured. Uh, you want to show that you have um, got some type of formal education, and you want to show that you are also an asset to your community. So if they had the programs, they could take these programs, get involved, and then they could be in leadership roles and positions. Um, that will allow people to see that they have done something, and they're not just um, sitting around or claiming that, they, um, that they're doing good things, but yet they're showing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right, my bad, because I, I just wanted to make sure I asked that of you. You know, I'm guided by my, our members at Out for Justice, and so I wanted to make sure that I got your perspective as it relates to this specific position I had um, on the transition team. And you know me, I'm going to ensure that the voices of my members are articulated, right, and then whatever y'all do, whatever you do with it, that's fine. But I need them to know that this is this is what my my members are saying, and I'm gonna fight as hard as possible. And yeah. that's what's up, and that's why you're in that position, and that's why we're happy to have you in that position. But um, what are you currently working on legislatively to help those in my situation? So right now we are working with JPI. We're going to be supporting JPI on the second the second look. And I think as it relates to your particular situation, that might be the only thing. You're not specifically in Maryland right now. And so um, that's, that's what I think is most aligned. Do you know of some legislation or feel like that we should be working on something different? No, I think that that's a good thing that you guys are working on. And um, for me, just off the top of my head, um, I just want to see some sentencing reform for the damage that has already been done to, you know, aging and um, incarcerated individuals because, you know, when you get 30, 40, 40 years, and it's just, it's just crazy. Like, there's no reason why somebody should be in prison that long. Um, so for me, yeah. it's all about getting that sentencing stuff fixed 
and also giving them judges back discretion. Judges don't even have no discretion after five years. They might say, he's doing excellent in there, and I want to give him a sentence reduction. But after five years, they don't have no discretion. So it's all in the hands of the, of the system, the DOC, um, in, the, in the parole commission. And so we have to we have to start addressing that. You know, there's so many things, but for me, that's my particular uh, situation. Uh, the other thing we're working on is um, stopping the automatic charging of youth as adults. Um, yes, they gave my nephew um, the adult case in Maryland that was on the news about the handgun, and um, I thought that was crazy because he's 15, right? Is there any way I can get in contact with him? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to get Erica to give you the info because um, his mother is also incarcerated in Jessup. He was on the news for this, and they were saying, how could this teenager be getting charged as an adult? He's never been in trouble before. But, yeah, I'm going to definitely send you all the info for him. Yeah, we would definitely like to figure out where we can support or um, advocate to get that charge reduced. Uh, that's another thing for black and brown people. We're not sentenced accurately. You know what I mean? But we're not charged. There's, there's some huge disparities in the ways that we're charged. And um, that's one thing. And that would, that we would need um, a progressive state's attorney and also a, a police department, the head of a police department, that is intentional about making sure its officers are educated, right, where they, under, they don't just go to the first go-to laws, right, that they understand that this is not armed robbery, right? This is a simple theft, you know what I mean? That this is not carjacking. It's, um, you know, we often get the harshest penalties, and Maryland is one of those states that has so many different uh, laws on the books that uh, one could choose from that is not associated with felonies. Thank you all for listening, subscribing, and sharing my podcast. Here are three ways to help me today. Consider donating, if you can, to my GoFundMe for my freedom efforts. You can find that by typing in Incarcerated Lives Matter, Philip Alvin Jones on GoFundMe. Subscribe today to my YouTube channel, The Wall Behind and Beyond. Comment and share. We are on our journey to a 1,000 subscribers. We can do this. Visit GrantParoleToPhilip.com. It's a one-stop shop that has my direct contact info and awesome social media sites. Please get in touch with us if you'd like to help in any way with Team Philip. Thank you, and keep listening to The Wall Behind and Beyond. Back on the other side with Nicole from Out for Justice. What is the aim moving forward uh, for Out for Justice? And what would you like people to take away from this discussion? Um, the step forward out for Justice Phillip is just that we are, um, as you know, we've been like a grossly underfunded organization uh, over the last 10 years. Um, and so we're in, in our 10th year of existence. Um, and, you know, I've been a leader for the last five. And it's really been important for me to ensure that this organization is, in terms of funding, is compatible with, you know, with the national organizations, right, and with the with a bigger um, organization, right? You know, my goal is to make sure that we have a $2.5 million budget, right, so that we can hire more impacted individuals, we can train them, 
And, you know, we don't have to go outside of our own community to advocate for ourselves, to be the policy experts, to be the bail and legal experts, and to be the ones impacting and helping with rapid response. We are qualified. We can do this work. Um, one of my goals is to make sure that we have the budget and the infrastructure to do that. And coming in 2023, it'll really be a priority for me, Philip, to really um show up these infrastructures and tools, right? We've created logic models and we have identified what our goals are and we are um, engaging and looking at the infrastructure and data tracking and, um, you know, making sure our budget is clean and each program has a budget and our trainings are, are making sense. And so really what I want to do is do more investing in the infrastructure, right, and really pushing the funders who have been funding us to continue to fund us because, you know, you can't just drop a pot of money on an organization who historically has been underfunded and say, oh, go fix it, right? And it's like, no, you have to you have to match. If you look at a funder's portfolio, the, the funding that they are giving us, we want, we want them to go and look at, you know, who they've been funding it over the last 10 years, and we want them to catch us up to that, right? And that's how you see long-term uh, change. That's the goal. Um, and you said, what do I want people to take from this conversation? Uh, take from this conversation that um, if you aren't impacted, you aren't formerly incarcerated, or you aren't um, someone who knows someone, right, that, you know, we, we are you and you are us, right? And it's really important that the folks who are not um, impacted by the criminal legal system really begin to, to be interested in the ways that this country is treating people and the ways that this country is implementing its laws and passing laws because it's when you, uh, the non-formally incarcerated person, begin to engage is when people will listen, when lawmakers will listen, um, and, and, and also for for the impact is so take away from this conversation that um, you are the change you want to see. You know, don't sit around and be like, yo, people need to do this and what y'all need to do. You know what I'm saying? What you should be saying is how can I help to ensure that, that I help them do a thing, right? So just remembering that, like, we are the change we want to see. If we want change, it is it will come through us. Absolutely. And um, on that note, how do people get a hold of you if they want to get involved, support your efforts, or give a donation to Out for Justice? Sure. Uh, um, there's several ways. Um, um, the best way is to uh, go to our website, Um, And there, you, we will ask you to sign up to get on the newsletter um, or sign up to, you know, become a member uh, you can call the office at 443-563-2123 uh, and ask for any one of the team members here. They will guide you. You know, we have, we, we're adding members to the team. You know what I mean? It was a time they had no kind of funding to have a team, right? It was just full of volunteers, right? And, and, I, and I, we still have a, a great base of volunteers, and we really rely really heavily on our volunteers. But it's, it's really an amazing thing when you stay consistent in something built. Um, and so now we're really starting to see some of the fruits of our labor after staying consistent all this time. Uh, I want to do a shameless plug. We have our um, 10th year anniversary coming up on December the 30th. Um, 
and it's to celebrate our members and our, you know and our partners and and just have a blast over you know a formerly incarcerated organization being able to make it this long and starting at a time when it wasn't really popular to impact the people uh, to run organizations and do policy reform. So I'm really proud of all the members who came before me, all the members who joined during our tenure, um, and I'm I'm looking forward to another good ten years to continue to um, push Maryland to to be its best out. For sure, under your leadership, we know that it's going to continue to go up. As always, thank you, Nicole, for stopping by and sending my regards to all the soldiers over at Out for Justice. No problem. Thank you. Take right. care. As always, I want to give a special thanks to our listeners for your continued support of The Wall Behind and Beyond. And if you haven't already, I ask that you go and subscribe to our YouTube channel at The Wall Behind and Beyond. We want to be able to notify you every week when a new episode drops so you get exclusive access. Also, share the episode that you like with friends and post our links on your socials. You guys are the show, and as we grow, we will bring you more quality content. Remember, I am because we are. If you want to get a hold of me direct, I can be reached via email at www.jpay.com, 881-507, Washington State. Take care, everyone, and be well.